The mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. What the Buddha is saying in this short verse is that all of your agony today, all of the suffering, all of the frustration, the disappointment, the anger, the irritation, the expectation, the comparing mind, the sleepiness, the doubt, the worry, all of that, and all that you've ever experienced in your life or ever will is caused by a force or forces that occasionally visit the mind. That's a powerful statement. Because inherent in that is the fact or the belief or the, the reality that we're not, it's not part of us it's not who we are to suffer. But it's only because of a force that occasionally visits the mind, causing suffering. If defilements are so powerful, we should ask, what are they? Why are they so dangerous, so powerful? How can we work with the defilements? And what's the benefit of understanding the defilements? If we can answer those questions, or at least investigate those questions, we'll be well on our way to a life free of suffering. The defilements are all forms of greed, aversion, or delusion. Thoughts, feelings, moods, activities, behaviors that are influenced or conditioned by greed, aversion, or delusion. Delusion takes two forms. There's the form of delusion that just doesn't know. When you're wandering or when you're asleep or when you're not really being mindful, you don't know what's going on. That's basic delusion. But there are additional, multiple, subtler levels of delusion which are revealed through the deepest and liberating insights. There's also the delusion of knowing wrongly. Seeing the present moment, seeing what's going on in your life or an experience, but understanding it incorrectly. That too is delusion. Delusion can be experienced as just confusion, Restlessness, doubt, 
bewilderment. Delusion accompanied by attachment is the popular desire, lusting, craving, wanting, yearning, expecting, anticipating. And delusion accompanied by aversion, anger, impatience, fear, and so on. Now what makes these defilements so powerful is that they are so ever-present in our minds. They appear so often, so frequently, that we are completely uh, tolerant of them. We've even claimed them as our personality. You know, I'm an aversive person. I'm an impatient person. You know, and and we don't we don't see inherent in that the source of all of our suffering. These defilements they appear to be mine. When anger arises. Ordinarily, we think, I'm angry. It's who I am. It's what I am. Or it's my fear, my jealousy. It is so, I mean, it's just like, of course. In addition, these defilements, when they cause us to suffer, They prevent us from living our life fully. They prevent us from being happy, from finding the peace and contentment that is possible. Okay, so we have these defilements, some form of greed, aversion, or delusion. They appear so often in our mind, they become our personality. We're tolerant of them because we can't imagine almost any other way of living. Don't you sometimes self-righteously get indignant and, you know, get angry self-righteously? I should be angry. They're acting like a jerk. Well, you know, they hurt me. Well, um, yeah. You know, and we think that that's perfectly fine. But that kind of deluded belief about the defilements is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's not going to happen. But in the meantime, you're going to suffer. However, the defilements are natural phenomena. They arise due to causes and conditions. They're not accidents. They shouldn't be unexpected. They are a naturally arising habit of the mind. They're also part of the Dharma. The Dharma is the way things are, the way it is. If you put your hand in fire, it's going to get burned. If you throw a ball in the air, it's going to come down to earth. 
there are natural laws governing things that are you know that gravity affects the laws of science there's also the laws of the mind the dharma and when these defilements arise they arise due to causes and conditions which for the most part we do not yet understand and so it's through understanding the defilements intimately that we can begin to disentangle our mind or the mind from the defilements and therefore suffer less. The danger of the defilements is the defilements are the unwholesome states of mind. They are those states of mind which either directly or indirectly cause oneself or others to suffer. So when the defilements arise, you can be sure the effect of that arising will be unpleasant. Guaranteed. That's their nature. Not recognizing the defilements, ignoring them, minimizing them, avoiding them, only strengthens them. When you don't know that you're acting out some unwholesome state of mind, it only gets stronger. Defilements have this capacity to distort our perception of what we see. If you were to put on a pair of uh, tinted lenses, red, red, red tinted lenses, you would still see what is in front of you, but it would all look red. Anger's like that. Anger arises in the mind, and you still see the people in your life, the events in your life, what's going on around you. But you only see the unpleasant aspect of it. That's the nature of aversion. Or if desire arises in the mind, you see the things and the people and the events of your life, but you see them wrongly because you only see the pleasant aspect of people and events. That's the very characteristic of these two defilements. And each of the defilements has their own particular flavor that they impose on the mind. But when you're looking through a pair of red lenses, it is very difficult to understand or to know that what you see is not really red. You have to come to know the lens in order to understand what you see correctly. And so too, in practice, we need to understand the defilements in order to see and perceive the world around us correctly.
there is a, uh, a spectrum of defilements or a gradient of defilements, uh, the activity of defilements. And the worst case scenario is when you are unaware, uninformed, and just acting out defilements. And we've all done plenty of that. Don't need to mention that. By doing that, as I mentioned, we just strengthen the defilements. But after we've, you know, kind of matured a little bit, not even getting to Dharma practice, but just matured a little bit, we can begin to recognize that, you know, when we're overwhelmed by jealousy or fear or anger or lust, it's not just not pleasant. We can understand that. But we're so overwhelmed by it that we just don't have any tools. It's like we are victimized by the strength of this defilement. And we've all experienced plenty of that. Does anyone here have any uh, obsessive or compulsive or addictive behavior? What do you think that is? That is being overwhelmed by one of the defilements. It may be you're acting it out. It can be eating. It can be drinking. It can be sex. It can be whatever. Or it could be, maybe you're not acting it out physically or speaking it, but the mind. Have you seen any obsessing in your mind today? I mean, it's, it's like, what else is there, huh? These are all defilements. That kind of activity is due to not seeing, not yet understanding the defilements. When we become aware, when we can begin to get a, get a sense of just how powerful and how unskillful or how harmful the defilements are, we want to learn, we, we, we see the need to learn how to, to work with them, how to, to get a handle on them, how to not act them out, how to you know, find some other way of directing our energy. And we can, and, and there are just innumerable techniques, understandings, workshops, teachings for uh, kind of transmuting, if you will. You know, replace your anger with loving kindness. You know, count to ten before you say what's on your mind when you shouldn't say it. Um, you know, all of the uh, encouragement to. Speak carefully, lovingly, the truth when it's appropriate, when it's beneficial. To uh, there's just there's just so many ways of stopping the acting out of the defilements and replacing it with some other activity. All of those are are fine, and they're great, and they bring you some immediate and temporary relief. But in and of themselves, they don't bring the understanding that's required to uproot this defilement from the mind. Because ultimately, that's the direction we want to head for. Is not just kind of getting rid of the defilement for this moment. That's fine for this moment. But if it just keeps coming back over and over and over and over again, 
after a while, well, you'll consider it a friend. You know, it's not just a visitor to your mind. It's a co-tenant in your mind. It's somebody that you, you know, you welcome, you're familiar, it's you're kind of habituated, and it's just like, good old anger, here you are, my friend. And that's how we live now. Accepting, tolerating, uh, suffering in our lives. So how do we work with these defilements? The first is, the first step, I guess, really, is getting the kind of information that I'm giving you tonight. There are these forces in the mind known as the defilements. This information is helpful because I'm going to tell you what the defilements are. I've mentioned them. Sleepiness, doubt, restlessness, desire, wanting, depression, fear, anxiety, jealousy, envy. There's dozens more. I'm actually editing a book that we've had translated from uh, Burmese into English. And they say there's more than a thousand. I don't know them all yet, but you know I'm getting familiar with some of them. But imagine all that causes you suffering is a defilement. But it's getting this information so that we can begin to recognize these states of mind as unwholesome, as defilements, as the source of our suffering. If we don't know that, you know, speaking your anger, I mean, there are some traditions that say, you know, if you're angry, you should express it. Well, in the, in the Buddha's understanding, it's like, if you express your anger, you're only strengthening the defilement. So understanding what a defilement is so that you can begin to recognize it. And this is, actually, this is one of the hardest, it's the hardest first step, is to recognize these very strong personality traits that we have as defilements. I remember when I did the first, my first three-month retreat here back in the early 80s. First couple of weeks, going along pretty good. I was just, you know, just struggling. And then somewhere in the third week, I started to recognize that it was a real struggle. It was, I was having a hell of a time. And for six weeks in the middle of a 12-week course, it, it was miserable. Six weeks. Why? I eventually noticed that I was sleeping. I was struggling with dullness of mind and sleepiness. But it took me weeks to recognize it. I could sit there and I'd be drifting and bobbing and nodding and dull and struggling to find the breath and stay on the breath, but I didn't recognize the dullness and the sleepiness. How's that possible? How can we be so immersed in one of these defiled states of mind and not recognize it? Well, all defilements are accompanied with or accompanied by delusion. We don't see. We don't. When delusion is present, we do not see things as they are. That's the very characteristic of delusion being present in the mind. That's how dangerous delusion is. We don't see things as they are, or we see things wrongly. We think, you know, while we're slumped over, we think, 
boy, it's really calm and quiet today. This is, I'm having a great sitting. We laugh because we've all done it. And we know it. That's how strong delusion is. So the first is to begin to recognize these states of mind. And I mean by that, it's just to acknowledge, you know, this is what's happening. It's It's not a judgment of it being bad or good or I'm good or I'm bad. It's just an acknowledgement that this... This is the way it is. There's a development present. And the second step in working with them is to accept this is the way it is. Once you recognize a defilement, then to accept it. Not, not that, oh, this is good, but accept in the sense of acknowledge. And with that acknowledgement comes understanding, a willingness, well, let's just say a lack of struggling with it. Yeah, you might still be struggling with it, but you're not struggling against recognizing it. So there's a certain relaxation. Oh, sleepiness. Oh, fear. Oh, jealousy. Oh, envy. Okay. Oh, well, that's what I'm working with. Okay. So we recognize it. We relax. It's what's happening. Mindfulness practice is to be aware of what's happening. Even if what's happening is really unwholesome and causing you a lot of suffering, we still have to acknowledge it. So this kind of information that these are the defilements, they are to be recognized, and once recognized, relax. Don't struggle. Uh, uh, here's the thing. It's, we do struggle with them. We want to overcome them. We want to uproot them, but we don't Struggle in the sense of denying them, living in denial of them. We come out of denial and see, here they are. Now, after we have this information and we begin to recognize and just relax, thirdly, we need to use some intelligence. We need to remember these are unwholesome, these cause suffering or this state of mind causes suffering. And with that, exercise some restraint because the impulsion in the mind is to act them out, to get rid of them. They cause suffering. We want to get rid of the suffering? Act them out. If you express your anger, don't you feel better? Temporarily. You have a lot of greed, you know, have a lot of lust, kind of satisfy yourself. Ah, there. Got that out of the way. Next. You know, oh, I'm really tired. Think I'll take a nap. Poop. Done with a nap. Okay, next. Oh, I'm really hungry. Guess I'll get something to eat. Got that out of the way. And we act out our defilements, and there is a temporary relief. But it's only a temporary, and actually that kind of acting out only strengthens the defilements. So we need to exercise some restraint by, well, what is it? This is the Nancy Reagan practice. Just say no. Just say no. Just don't do it. Or find a way to, um, you know, turn the mind's obsession from an unskillful object to a skillful object. So you really, you see someone and you got a lot of anger with them and you're just kind of on an obsessive rant of anger about someone, some situation. 
Replace that. You got a lot of energy. Replace that with the same energy, but developing loving kindness. That'll take care of it temporarily. That's a skillful thing to do. Or sometimes we can uh, practice or remember to uh, forgive as a way of overcoming blaming. You're blaming somebody for something they did to you, they said to you, and say, you know what? Okay, I forgive you. At least I'm trying to forgive you. And with sincerity and with some practice, we can learn how to replace defiled states of mind with a more skillful state of mind. This is necessary because, as I mentioned, initially we're often overwhelmed by these defilements. But we need some understanding that this is a good thing to do. I was talking to the uh, executive director here uh, over lunch, and this morning he had to take his two daughters, his daughters, two dogs, for a walk. And he was telling me that uh, they got caught up in porcupine. He said last December he took them for a walk, and the two dogs went out, found a porcupine. Both of them stuck their nose into the porcupine, got a muzzle full of quills, and had to go to the vets. Today they were out for a walk, found another porcupine. One of the dogs went running right up to the porcupine, stuck its nose in the porcupine, got a muzzle full of quills, and the other one didn't. (laughs) The second one learned from the first time's experience. This is a dangerous thing to do. It's a painful thing to do. We have that opportunity. We've seen how when we just run with the defilements, it's like getting a muzzle full of quills. It hurts. What are we going to do the next time we see a porcupine? You know, something that causes one of the defilements to arise. It can be a desirable object. It can be an an object that arouses aversion or jealousy or envy or, or fear or frustration. What are we going to do? Well, unless we understand that that's a dangerous thing to engage wrongly, we'll get a muzzle full of quills. So we need to remember this. We need to use our intelligence and remember, what did we do last time? It got us into so much trouble, so much suffering. And then once we're able to exercise some restraint, we've recognized and we relax, exercise some restraint, we need to or it is helpful if we can reframe our understand our misunderstanding actually when these defilements arise this is the place the opportunity the the time to practice mindfulness this is when you really want to be on guard and really aware of what's going on because often we have the wrong understanding we think oh, I'm so tired. I can't practice until, I, until I'm less tired. I'm so angry. I'm so irritated. I'm so frustrated. I've got to calm down before I can practice. But that's, that's a wrong understanding. When those states of mind arise, that's the very place to practice mindfulness so that we're not strengthening them, so that we can begin to work with them. Because these defilements are our natural activity, They are part of the Dharma. They arise due to causes and conditions. They're not yours. They're not who you are. 
They're deeply conditioned. Therefore, be patient. They will arise. The defilements will arise over and over and over again. Be patient with them. Every time you see one, recognize one, or are caught in one, be thankful that you recognize it. Now you can do something about it. How many years did we live without recognizing them? Saito Utejaniya says, Yogis often make the mistake of expecting good experience rather than trying to work with the defilements. Did any of us come with expecting a good experience? Or did we come fully expecting to be engaged with the defilements most of the retreat? Hmm, okay. So, we're beginning to recognize some of the defilements. We're beginning to relax. This is the way it is. We're beginning to uh, exercise some restraint, not just act them out blindly. And we now have reframed our understanding that, okay, this is the place to do the work. What is it we have to do with these defilements? Well, if that's what the present moment is giving rise to, then we need to receive it. Just receive it. And to receive something means that you... you, you Hold it without gripping it. You 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 mm, take it in, so to speak. You receive it. You feel it. You know it intimately. And so too with these defilements, as they manifest in the mind, they condition a certain experience in the body. They condition thoughts in the mind, feelings, moods. Get intimate. Get really familiar with how the defilements arise how they make you feel, what kind of thoughts arise because of them, what kind of thoughts give rise to them, how long do they last? We can only answer these questions, I ask these questions so that you'll allow your attention to acknowledge what you're actually experiencing about the defilements. Because only through directly observing how these defilements arise in the body, arise in the mind, can we begin to understand them. And as I said, it's through understanding the defilements that we can remove them from the mind. So we actually should welcome. As soon as, they should, as soon as they appear, we should say, okay, here it is. What can I learn about this? And rather than paying attention to the defiled state of mind just to get rid of it, that in itself is probably a defiled agenda, isn't it? I'd like to get rid of this. Sounds like a version to me. But rather than doing that, if we can... Welcome, relax, accept, this is the way it is. Receive it in full awareness. Then we can begin to answer the questions. What is this? How does it arise? How do I feel? How does it make me feel? What kind of thoughts does it give rise to? 
What kind of thoughts give rise to it? How long does it last? Now, I'm asking you all these questions. Please do not make this a technique in your practice. These questions, they're just, you need to hear them, but you don't need to do anything with them. Because when you're engaged in, a, in the, the struggle with the defilements, if you will, or the, the discovery of the defilements, in paying attention to them closely, you will come to know the answers to these questions. That's why we pay attention, so that we really deeply, intimately, personally understand the nature of the defilements. So long as you're aware of the defilements, you're doing well. Mostly we think, so long as I'm aware of the defilements, I'm doing poorly. But actually, Saito says, if there's a defilement in your mind and you're aware of it, that's good practice. So don't be ashamed. Don't be uh, too critical of spending a lot of time in your practice dealing with the defilements. All of that time can be well spent if it's in the service of deeply understanding, really wanting to know the nature of these defilements. Because then we'll, we'll see, we'll catch them much quicker. When they start to appear, we'll recognize them because we've seen how they arise. When we see certain thoughts in the mind, we'll recognize, aha, that's that defilement. That's the kind of thoughts I have when, I have, when that defilement's in the mind. And it's that kind of knowledge that is going to free you from the defilements. You'll catch them quicker. You won't stay in them so long. They won't get so much of a, a head of steam to kind of overwhelm you. This is all the disentangling process, how we disentangle from the defilements. So that's the, that's the introduction. <laughs> Now we're going to get into some of the real biggies, some of the defilements. And the first one I want to speak about tonight is our good old friend and ever-present companion in the first days of retreat, sloth and torpor. Let me just ask, is there anybody here who has not been, well, struggling or dealing with or at least aware of some sloth and torpor in the last few days? It comes. It's universal. There should be no shame in your mind if you've been working with sloth and torpor. Sloth and torpor. Sloth is laziness. Torpor is heaviness of mind. Often experienced as some form of dullness, sleepiness, laziness, you know, confusion, just kind of, you know, like, what am I here for? It's like, I, don't, I don't think I really want to go sit right now. It's just kind of, you know, or let me, let me just kind of cruise in this kind of, Quiet, calm, still, sleep. There are many ways of arousing the energy or the interest or the curiosity to look at sloth and torpor, to look at that state of mind. 
Of course, when sloth or torpor is present in the mind, that's just what we don't want to do. We don't want to do a thing. We don't want to move the mind. We don't want to look at anything. We don't, we don't want to know anything. That's the characteristic of sloth and torpor. We don't want to know. But, you know, we can reflect on, you know, we can reflect on the Buddha, the nobility of the Buddha. We can reflect on the power of awareness. We can reflect on the practice of other teachers or friends that we know who've, who've practiced and overcome sleepiness to some degree. We can, uh, well, a universal reflection in almost every uh, religion or spiritual tradition that I know of is to reflect on one's death. We reflect on death, you know, and the, the inevitability of it the unpredictability, the unpredictability of the timing of one's death. And somehow it has a way of like kind of grounding the mind and just, you know what, maybe I'll take a look right now. There isn't one of us in this room that knows for sure that we're going to wake up tomorrow and have a chance to practice here. None of us knows for sure that we'll have that time. And when we can reflect on that, when we can keep that reality close in our mind, it doesn't mean we have to get morbid. We just get fearful. We start running around doing everything that we hope to do before we pass away. But we recognize just how precious the time is when we have the opportunity to, as we do here, to just look, to just practice, to just really try to understand a little bit more the nature of these uh, states of mind that cause so much suffering. There's a, again, in this book that I've, we've had translated and we're editing for, um, it's about, it's a manual of insight, if, it's about this practice. The Mahasi Sayadaw, who's kind of like the grandfather of, of this tradition of practice, he gives, uh, there, must be, there must be 35, 40 different topics here that one can reflect on in order to arouse a sense of spiritual cheerfulness. No, spiritual cheerfulness, pamuja. One of them is to reflect on the suffering conditions of hell. Now that ought to make you pretty cheerful. <laughs> I mean, I mean, only oh, only a Buddhist monk could say could think. <laughs> Reflect on the suffering in hell; it'll make you happy. Okay. It kind of threw me for a loop when I first read that, and I had to give it some thought as to what what could he possibly be thinking. But think about it: we are not in hell. Hell is kind of constant, torturous suffering, whatever it is, whether you consider it a place, a plane of existence, or a mental state. You're not there. Count your blessings. You know what? We got it pretty good, actually. We got it really good, actually. Most of our time today wasn't in a hellish state of mind. Was it? <laughs> it wasn't. You know, as bad as it was. You know, and I know it can be pretty bad sometimes. 
You know, we're just kind of fretting and stewing and angry and restless and, you know. But even with that, it's only part of the time. And so just really do a reflection. You know what? Your mind is not in hell. Okay. Let me take full advantage of that and practice now. It's perfectly natural to become sleepy, Saito Tejaniya says. If you feel bad about sleepiness, it means you have aversion towards it and you will try to resist it. This is the wrong attitude. Simply recognize and accept sleepiness. As long as you observe it with the right attitude, you're meditating correctly. You have full permission. You don't have to try to get rid of it. You don't have to try to avoid it. Certainly don't deny it. And I might add, don't act it out. Just be aware of it. It may not be pleasant. Nobody said it was going to be pleasant. But by observing, we learn. By learning, we become free. There's a second major defilement. Very difficult to see. Very difficult to see. It's doubt. It is a confused state of mind that doesn't know what to do, or whether to do, or when to do, or should I do, or shouldn't I? Will I, won't I, can I, can't it? Are they right? Are they wrong? What should I do? And in some ways, it's not caused by the profusion and proliferation of spiritual options that we have. We live in the West. The libraries and the bookshelves, the bookstores are just full of the spiritual traditions from all over the world. We have everything at our at the click of a mouse. It's confusing. I don't know if you've tried to make sense of it all, but it's it's there's a lot out there that is just, you know, contradictory and confusing and bewildering and it's like it's a whole different language you gotta learn, you know, from one book to the next. What are we gonna do? How are we gonna know? for ourselves, what is the right understanding, what is the right path, what is the right technique, who's the right teacher for us. We certainly can't try them all. And so we pick one, we do what we can. We cannot help but occasionally come across doubt. Doubt will arise in the mind. We've heard about something else. We've heard about another teacher, another path, the quick way. <laughs> I like that sudden enlightenment one. You know, <laughs> Unfortunately, it didn't work for me, so I'm on the, the long, slow slog path. But nevertheless, doubt arises in our mind. It's very difficult to see doubt, partly because, well, part of our educational con- training and conditioning is to, you know, to take it all in and to reflect on it and to weigh it and evaluate and use and rationally think about things and, and try to figure things out. And that's what we do with spiritual practice. However, doubt cannot be overcome by thinking. We can borrow someone's confidence to practice, but our own practice has to reveal the truth to us for us to be free of doubt. That's the most a teacher or teaching can give you, is temporary loan of their confidence so that you'll practice. And through your own practice, if you come to the truth, 
you will have no doubt. But please, do not mistake my confidence for your truth. You need to practice. You need to do the practice too to come to your own confident understanding of the truth. A lot of reasoning, reflection, analysis, trying to think it through and figure it out is really doubt masquerading as logic. You can't, we cannot resolve the big questions of life through thinking, but only through living them and discovering for ourselves the way it truly is. Third category of defilements that I want to speak about that's also, again, really common is aversion. And there are three gradients of aversion that I want to mention. And the first is aversion that strikes out at others. This is anger, rage, hatred. Because when that aversion is in the mind, we are putting out, we're striking out mentally, sometimes physically, verbally, to what is perceived to be the source of our anger, the source of our rage, the source of our hatred. There's the internalizing aversion, where we take aversion and we turn it within and we get depressed, frustrated, disappointed, despairing. This is, aversion, as you remember, is an inability to accept the way things are, and therefore a pushing away, a disliking, a trying to get rid of or avoiding, striking out at, internalizing, against what is perceived to be the source of that aversion. And there's a third gradient of aversion. It's the pushing away kind. It's through irritation, judgment, cynicism, criticism, fear. These are all forms of aversion. Cynicism. Every day, if you read the news, you read a stream of, well, proclamations coming out of Hollywood, coming off of Wall Street, coming out of Washington. Do you have cause to be cynical? When you're cynical, you suffer. They're just doing their thing. All of those pundits and all of those talking heads, they're just doing their thing. Cynicism causes you to suffer. Now you get a glimpse of just what we're up against when we're looking at the defilements and trying to uproot the defilements, come to an understanding of these defilements so that we can hear what's coming out of Washington, Wall Street, and Hollywood and not succumb to cynicism. It's a comfortable place just to be cynical, be critical, be fearful, be averse, be judgmental. But that causes you to suffer. So, Never underestimate the power 
of mindfulness to bring immediate relief. When we're able to name the demon in our mind, immediately there is a, uh, a dissolution of that identification to a spacious recognition. Oh, that's what's going on. When we're identified with the defilement that's arisen in the mind, there's no space. We're just caught in it. We'll be acting it out one way or another. But when we're able to recognize it, when there's a moment of awareness, mindful awareness, there's a loosening of the glue of identification. It's, it's like mindfulness is a solvent that loosens the glue of identity. And then we can see more clearly, oh, this is what has arisen in the mind. This defiled state of mind. It's arisen due to causes and conditions. It's not me. It's not mine. It's not who I am. It's arisen. It is being known. If I don't recognize it, I'll act it out. If there is the recognition of it, there's some space and liberation in the mind. This is the direction of liberation in the mind when working with the defilements. Another really common, frequent visitor in the early days of a retreat and for the rest of the spiritual path until full awakening <laughs> is uh, restlessness. Now, I want to correct a misunderstanding or a misperception. Restlessness is what we ordinarily call the wandering mind. When the mind is wandering, you know, the mind jumps on a train of thought, the train of thought leaves the station, and we're along for the ride. And we don't even know we're on a ride. We don't even know we're thinking. But there's just a train of thought going by. At some point, we get off the train, or the train comes to a stop and we get off at some station, far away from where we started, not having seen the scenery from start to finish. It is so common. It is so ubiquitous. We're doing it all the time. The longer the wander, or the longer the train, we say the stronger the wandering mind, the stronger the restlessness. That's restlessness. Restlessness is in, 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 invisible. You know, We see the effects of it because we've been lost for five minutes, if not longer. As we develop some momentum to mindful awareness, we catch, or I should say, the wandering mind is caught much quicker. And so instead of just, well, you know, in the early days of practice or in the early days of retreat, you sit down and you have a good sitting because your mind only wandered twice. Of course, it was 20 minutes each time, but hey, it's only wandered <laughs> twice, you know. And we think, hey, that's not bad. You know, but on day three, you sit down for 45 minutes and you have 45 wandering minds. They're only a minute apiece. Which is better? Two wanders or 45? Most of us would say, well, two wanders is much better than 45. But that's wrong thinking. Actually, if, if the wandering mind is only 
a minute long and you catch 45 of them in a 45-minute sitting. Well, you didn't do much but, <laughs> but wander, did you? But that's much better, actually. Much less wandering mind, much less restlessness because we're catching it quicker. It's the frequency of breaking the train that determines the strength of the defilement. Okay. So, congratulate yourself. If you've seen your mind wandering hundreds of thousands of times today, yay, good. You're getting better. That's good. You know, some people wander. I'll tell you, some people's minds wander for days, weeks, months, <laughs> lifetimes. Lifetimes never come out of it. Lifetimes. The Buddha said, the mind is difficult to control, and boy was he true. Swiftly and lightly it moves and lands wherever it pleases. Don't we know? It is good to tame the mind, for a well-tamed mind brings happiness. The mind is difficult to control. <laughs> this guy is speaking nothing but the truth. It certainly is difficult to control. We can't control the mind. But what we can do is recognize where it goes. And when we recognize where it goes, we're not caught in restlessness or wandering mind. We see the mind is going here, the mind is going there. It's going to this thought, this fantasy, this, this memory, this plan, this image, this sensation, the breath, sound, sight, this, that, that thing. Sometimes some of you will come into a group or an interview, and you say, God, my mind's wandering all over the place. It just sit there, and it just goes from here to there and there and there. It notices this and that and that. And I think, that's great. Of course, you think it's restlessness. That's not restlessness. That is being aware of the rapidity of the mind and the changeability of objects. Congratulations. That's good. When you can be aware of just how fast the mind is moving, and just how varied the range of the mind's movement is, how quickly it moves, how vast and wide-ranging it is, this is good mindfulness, good awareness, right understanding. The last and certainly not the least category of defilement I want to speak about is attachment, also called craving, grasping, yearning, wanting, lusting. But let me make a distinction here. There's wholesome wanting and there's unwholesome wanting. Wholesome wanting in the Pali or the Buddhist language is called chanda. You know, we might say, hey, I want to be free of suffering. I want to be awake. I want to be mindful. I want to be enlightened. I want to, I want to wake up. That kind of wanting is wholesome because it is directing the mind towards a wholesome goal. We could say that that, want, that, that word wanting in that situation doesn't mean desire so much as aspire. I aspire to be free of suffering. I aspire to be awake. I aspire to be liberated from the defilements. And that's a worthy 
noble goal. That's a good thought to have in the mind. On the other hand, we know the unwholesome desires. I won't mention chocolate, sex, <laughs> money, power, or anything else. But you know what I'm talking about. Why? Because those objects of desire are insatiable. Insatiable. You cannot satisfy the desiring mind. We think, oh, I'm just going to take a nibble. It's like drinking salt water to quench thirst. It doesn't happen. The desire only gets stronger. It's a hard lesson to learn. It's almost an impossible lesson to learn unless you pay attention. If you pay careful attention to and really come to understand the nature of desire in the mind, how it arises, how it tricks you every time into thinking, this is going to be good. Well, it is probably going to be pleasant, but rarely is it going to offer you that kind of satisfaction, ease and contentment and peace of mind that we really want. We get fooled over and over and over again by desire. It offers a satisfaction that it is incapable of providing. And until we pay close enough attention to see that for ourselves and then not get fooled, but know, yeah, here it is. Here's that thing. Here's that person. Here's that activity that I see that I want. We want it because desire has arisen in the mind and we don't see the desire. As long as we're looking at the object of desire, it's looking good. But when we turn around and recognize the desire itself and we understand the force of desire in the mind, how it arises, what kind of thoughts it makes us have, what kind of thoughts lead to desire, how it feels in the body, when we understand, understand that, we won't be fooled by the pleasant appearances outside because we understand the defilement within the mind. It is this understanding that frees us from the suffering of that defilement. Without that understanding, we can suppress it, we can avoid it, we can deny it, we can, we can do... There are many ways of kind of exercising some kind of self-control temporarily. But the roots of that defilement are still in the mind. And given the right opportunity, when the mindfulness is a little weak, when you're feeling a little vulnerable, when you're feeling a little... There it is. Defilement has you. Our teacher, Sairu Tejaniya, has written this nice little booklet. Well, I should say, his teachings have been compiled into this little booklet called Don't Look Down on the Defilements. They Will Laugh at You. It's true. If we look down on the defilements at our own, you know, if we think they're not, not so bad, not so dangerous, not so many of them even in my mind, you can be sure you're caught. The defilements are dangerous because they cause suffering. It is through direct 
observation of them in the mind and how they're displayed in the body. It's that understanding that frees us both temporarily and eventually uproots the defilement from the mind. Only when we're able to recognize, understand, and disidentify from the defilements that wisdom will grow. And it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does the job. Now let's sit for a minute and let the words... When your understanding of the true nature of things grows, your values in life will change. When your values change, your priorities change as well. And through such understanding, you will naturally practice more, and this will help you to do well in life. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.